You're listening to Environmentally Speaking, a weekly podcast diving into legal matters surrounding the environment, public utilities, energy, zoning, and permitting laws in Rhode Island and the surrounding areas with your host, Marissa Desitel. Welcome to Environmentally Speaking. Hello, everyone. I am Marissa Desitel, an environmental attorney with a few decades of experience. And I'm Clarice, coming in with your topics, questions, and anything else relevant going on in the environmental world. Uh, Today, we were going to touch on this topic as kind of a mini topic, just to kick us off. But given the severity, the nature of it, we felt it was a little bit too important just to be a mini, like a mini topic. We're going to dive right into it and focus on it for today's episode. Let's do and it. What we're talking about today is the Seekonk River oil spill. So that's something that's, you know, relatively close to both Marissa and I. Um, it's affecting Pawtucket. It's obviously affecting parts of Massachusetts. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well as um, kind of a natural disaster impact and um, natural resource damages. Do you want to talk a little bit about what's going on in Pawtucket? Do we want to go into the general scope of national resource damages? Which you think yes. Would be more <laughs> um, yes I would, to all of it. Yeah. Yes. And I would also just like to start with the fact that for a moment, I forgot there was video. And so I just lunged at the phone for some reason, which is recording me. And I'm not sure if this video is going to end up posting anywhere, but sorry for inundating the screen with my giant head. So yeah, the the oil spill that Clarice is referencing occurred on December 2nd uh, from a property located in Pawtucket, known as the Tidewater Landing Project. It was actually the second spill in the past uh, month for this particular location. And the issue here is that there was something called a, a cap on the property, CAP, which is just a term to explain what the industry, the environmental reme- uh, remediation industry will put into place as an engineered control for a contaminated site. If you've got contaminated soil at a property and the state determines that it can remain in place so long as it's not disturbed. Companies usually go for that type of remediation because it's the cheapest alternative as opposed to having to remove all of the soil and have it hauled to a particular location for disposal. There was a cap or there is a cap at this Tidewater Landing Project in Pawtucket as part of the ongoing remediation for this site, the property owner, in this case, National Grid, was attempting to install a permanent cap. It looks like the the cap that the hard cap that was put in place in 2009 was meant to be temporary. So they were coming in to install a permanent hard cap. And as part of that undertaking, they disturbed soil under the temporary cap. And that's what made its way into the Seekonk River. So when our listeners envision this cap, I'm thinking since it's a section of soil that can't be disturbed and can't be touched, is this cap like a cover? And it's just kind of sealing off that soil to make sure 
nobody's touching it. Nobody's tracking it to other places. And exactly. Almost quarantining it. That's, that's exactly right. Okay. Yep. And there's, there's different types of caps, um, depending on which state you're in and which technologies are approved. You could have a geosynthetic cap. You could have a, um, what's that? Sounds Sounds fancy. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it essentially looks like a big piece of trash bag, you know, like the typical black trash bags, but a really big trash bag and then laid out flat. Um, Historically, though, caps have been more uh, made of a harder material, so concrete or asphalt. And then sometimes they'll install soil above the cap, sow grass or some other type of greenery so that you're not just looking at a giant piece of uh, asphalted land. Yeah. Just, I mean, for an aesthetic sake alone, now that you've got this concrete cap, you're now looking at a field of concrete it's just kind of like a useless parking lot so if there is yep. a possibility to encourage extra life to grow on it and yep. um, encourage additional things they'll put clean dirt over it which is a nice right. little oxymoron for you yep so in this case they were removing the temporary cap they were putting in a more permanent one and in that process it sounds like soil and other contaminants got into the river yes Yes. And, and let me be clear that National Grid was not the company that produced the contamination on the site. This is a very old uh, commercial property that was used to, I think it was used to generate so, um, coal tar. Mm-hmm. And I'm just looking at the article here. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of Rhode Island's oldest brownfields. And it was previously operated by the Pawtucket Gas Company. They manufactured coal into gas. And this was back in 1881 that they started that practice. So you can imagine there were no environmental statutes or regulations in effect in 1881. So um, I don't know if they even had statutes. Just, yeah. just as an overarching. Yeah. I mean, kids were working in the field. Women there was could coal not everywhere. No, they were doing great. So it's the it's the byproducts of the oil gas industrial processes that are making their way into the Seekonk River. Now that we've got this situation where there are contaminants in the river, and obviously it's it's having an adverse effect on uh, just sort of the natural biome that's happening in that river. What are some containment and um, sort of cleanup steps that can be taken? Well, there's already, uh, because of where National Grid is in the in the remediation and reuse of this property, they've already gone through the state and potentially the federal remediation programs. So they have a final remedial objective in place so that the cleanup standards and everything have already been figured out. This is a situation where someone just operationally made a mistake that's a quick that's a quick turnaround to address this considering it happened december 2nd and we're now recording on the 16th i mean that's a pretty speedy kind of attention to it most times we hear about the government process and everybody jokes about red tape taking a while so knowing that it's quicker to start working on this 
his health. Wait, what do you mean? So the, from my understanding, the spill into the river happened on December 2nd. And it sounds like they've already started taking steps to address that cleanup. Oh, I see what you're saying. I was referring to the site itself, not the river. So the site has been through the programmatic process at DEM and that process won't be necessarily impacted by the spill. The response action to the spill is what you're referring to. And that's a, again, programmatic, but that is a separate division at DEM. The emergency response unit would go out and put into place whatever immediate mitigation measures that they, that they can, including oil spill booms and, and materials that they can put in the water to absorb the oil. And just tons of people with Dawn looking for all the ducks, right? With ducks and the gloves and the sad duck. Oh, God, it's that my favorite commercial. In oil. Very upsetting. So the response action would occur as soon as DEM could mobilize, really. And then what happens after the fact is something that takes longer. DEM could issue a notice of violation to National Grid. They could also seek something called a natural resource damages claim, where under the the statute, the Superfund statute that we've talked about in a previous podcast, states are able to assess something called a natural resource damage claim. And that is exactly what it sounds like. You've damaged the natural resources of this state. Here's a dollar value that we're putting on that. You have to pay it. So a couple of options, um, but enforcement wise, it's a spill, it's a release. Um, DEM could also come in and say, you need to put more hay bales around the edge of the cap. You need to put more booms in the water. You need to hire another company to come in and do the construction. So they, they do have enforcement mechanisms as well. But if it's a substantial spill, I don't know if you're aware of this, but one little drop of oil can make an entire water body covered, well, not covered, but, you know, a a particular area have a rainbow effect. So if you ever look at a a puddle of water or a pothole that's got water in it and you see a little rainbow, that's oil. That's what oil does when it is released into water. One little drop can affect the whole. So it's a very, the oil spill is very dramatic because of the immediate impact. Oh, I think that's some, yeah, I think that's some awesome perspective because in my mind hearing that if it's soil that has some oil in it, I wasn't expecting it to cover such a large area. So yeah, it's a pretty big area. Wow. But like you said, DEM does have an emergency response unit that's already working on taking steps to kind of contain this as much as possible and begin whatever that cleanup looks like. Yeah. It's not a great situation, but it's good to know there are fast moving steps to, to alleviate it and hopefully restore it. Well, yeah. And hopefully there's no more, there's no more spills in this area. It's the second one from that project site. So accidents happen, but two of them, I don't, I don't know. It's not a good look. Yeah. It's not, it's not safe. People use that river. Not Not anymore. Yeah. (laughs) It's upsetting. You had fishing plans in that river. I don't know. Think of something else. (laughs) So are you, are you nearby the Seekonk River? I am. I'm really close to it. I'm about 
10, 15 minutes over. Um, okay. I have to, uh, so I'm out of Fall River and the river runs right along the city of Fall River. And anytime I want to get over into Somerset or Swansea or even, you know, going further into Seacock, we cross that river. Okay. So it's something I see pretty frequently. And I mean, in my mind, it is a larger, more, it's a bigger body of water, but to hear that one drop of oil can affect a huge surface area. Yeah. It wouldn't affect the entire river, but yeah. Oh, but it's, it's still a bummer it's sentence. And yeah. Yep. Well, it's something to look out for. It's something we'll keep our eyes on. And, you know, if there are any more dramatic updates, maybe we'll do a follow-up episode or we'll make yeah. sure to keep you guys all posted on it. We don't have a lot of water. Left. I mean, yeah, the planet's like 97% water, but having clean water is becoming more and more rare. So let's all go be appreciative. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you guys for listening. If you have any questions, comments, things you'd want us to talk about, feel free to reach out on Instagram at Desatel Law or send us an email at info at desateliesq.com. It's not info, it's help. It's not. Reach out to us at help at desateliesq.com. Only worked there two years. Yep. We'll get there. Miss you. <laughs> have a good week, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Environmentally Speaking. If you're in need of an environmental attorney, we are here to help. Call us at 401-477-0023 or visit our website at www.desatellaw.com. That's www.desatellaw.com.